You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of 2022 of the DC Real Estate Podcast. I'm here with Jack Seiden and uh, Ron Gallagher, and we're excited to talk uh, this week about changing market conditions. Um, Also, I I make an announcement. Yep. Let's go ahead and make this announcement. I have officially joined uh, Russell's to-be-named group. If you have any suggestions, please, please let us know because it's actually quite hard to come up with a good uh, real estate group name. And I'll be selling real estate with Russell in 2022. And in addition to um, hopefully finding some flips. So that's super exciting. Do you have the applause button on the? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that better than the? I'm glad you didn't do the laugh track. That would have been. uh... Oh, could have done. (laughs) So uh, this is airing the first week of January, but we're actually recording here the week after Christmas. And Ron just got back from a trip to Maine to see the family. How was that? Uh, cold. It was a <laughs> huge snowstorm the day after I arrived. So, yeah. so you're saying we shouldn't go to Maine in the in middle of December. December? No. Did do you not, not? Did you know that before your trip, or is this do a revelation? Not, do not recommend. No, I have to do it every year. So, <laughs> they should really move Christmas to June. <laughs> or, the, or, your, or your family could just move to like Florida. Yeah. They could or move. we could celebrate Christmas in July or something. But yeah, the combination of Maine and December is not a good one. I think you told me the uh, wherever you were was like the Omicron capital of the yeah country. the county that my parents uh, live in would be if it was a country it was the third worst cases per capita so how far north up in Maine is this uh, my town my hometown borders Canada we have a twenty four hour Canadian border crossing um, so if I was born like one mile to the east I would be Canadian. When I was a kid, we grew up with only three channels. We had um, the local PBS station, one CBS affiliate, and one Canadian station. (laughs) So when I was a kid, I would watch Sesame Street, and it would be in French. (laughs) Do you speak French? uh, I can do the Sesame Street stuff. Let's do it. Trois, quatre, cinq, six, sept, huit, neuf, dix. I can count to ten. Real fast in French because I learned it in Sesame Street. So when you were in high school and, you know, sort of the early age in um, college, did you guys go up to um, – because drinking age is lower in Canada. So yeah. I, I even remember like growing up in Boston, kids would go out all the way up to Canada to drink. Yeah. And the other thing is Canadians are like – I don't know what the word is. They do stuff. Like Americans are super boring and stay inside. But Canadians still go out and do things. So there's uh, a little town – just over the border that has the same population, like 2000, 3000, you know, really small, but it has two bars and a nightclub and all this stuff going on. So even, even if the drinking age is the same, there's more to do in Canadian towns because they actually do things. So yeah, everyone would drive. When we were kids, we would drive over the border because you can drink there when you're 18. And This town, this Canadian town, had two nightclubs, Suzanne's and Broadway Club. And, yeah, you would go there. It was just so much fun. And And everyone was out. And and it was was interesting, actually, crossing the border back then because you could do it without a passport. You just had a driver's license, and they usually didn't even check it. Yeah, and my science teacher, 
um, like my ninth grade science teacher was uh, moonlighting as a border crossing guard. So when we saw Mr. Bowyer was in the, <laughs> we would we wouldn't even stop to go across the border. We would just honk the horn and drive right into the United States. <laughs> I was uh, I was in uh, West Texas and they have the border checkpoints and it was really interesting. They you'd stop there and when they saw who I was and like some white guy, they're like. Are you a U.S. citizen? I said, yes. They didn't even ask to see my license at these checkpoints. Like, I, thought I did have a friend who told me I should, um, I had like Diet Coke in the back. And when they pulled me over, I should have just been like, yeah, I some Coke in the back. Is that okay? <laughs> it wouldn't have been a good. Yeah, I remember uh, we went to, um, once when I was in college, we went to Windsor, Canada, across the river from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think I'd like left my wallet back at the place where we were staying and forgot and crossed the border without any ID and like, Went into Canada and came back with no ID and like was not an issue back then. Yeah, yeah. It so was, times have definitely changed. Definitely changed for sure. Um, I think you're, not, of, you're still not allowed to go over the border, right? Is it still closed or partially? Or um, I think in November. I don't know what it is right this second, but back in November, I think they opened it back up or August or something like that, where you could go back and forth from Canada. Yeah, Canada's a great country. But uh, speaking of times changing, uh, a couple months ago on the podcast, I think I. Talked about how the market was starting to normal, that is not normalize. True anymore. That is not yeah, true. So October and November, the market was starting to normalize. Got our normal seasonal slowdown. Getting two or three offers on hot properties. Well, now that is all out the window. It's and, white hot. Yeah. So I I've run ran into two situations in the past couple of weeks. Made an offer on a property in Rockville. Um, I think it was listed at five fifty. So not expensive, but not cheap either. You know, for Rockville and. That property had 24 offers on it. Oh my god! Um, and I in at 550, it was already priced. What, what neighborhood was, is this? Um, over in Aspen Hill. Off oh, so at, that's pretty. Like that's a good price. Well, the it's a healthy price for that anyway. I think the high comp in the neighborhood was 520 yeah. or so 525, and they had listed at 550. So it was already priced high. Um, and I had a client right on it, and. He didn't come in particularly aggressive at all. Actually, I knew that it would go over 600. So Aspen Hill is not 600 neighbor. That's interesting. Yeah. So that was like in the fours a year or two ago. High fours. High fours. High, high fours. fours. Yeah. So this one definitely, it was a nice house, but this house had actually also had just sold um, 15, 16 months ago for about five. 20, I think, okay. and they priced it at 550. But the 24 offers is where the real insanity is. So, a couple of things and I think are driving this. I think some of it is a seasonal low inventory, right? So, there's only so many houses um, to bid on, right? So, inventory typically does drop in, in the winter, it's however, so low. However, young. the number of buyers typically drops yeah. in you know correlation with that. Um, so the number in we had a normal slowdown in October and November, but that slowdown's gone. Just as many buyers are back out in the market now that we're in the spring. And how much of this is driven by the Fed announcing interest rate hikes and people trying to get ahead of the rate rate hikes? I don't think that the rate hikes are dry are a driver in our market. They could be in other markets. Do you think just getting ahead of it as a driver? People if I buy now, it's gonna be less than it's gonna be in June. I, I've not had any conversations like that with any of my buyers. Um I think we just have pent up demand because there is not enough houses. I think that there's people that have been getting out bid for a year that are upping their bids. Um, but why now in December? Because you would think that would be probably December, January, usually the slowest months in our market. What has happened in the last? Because November was not like this. October wasn't like this, nope. as you said. What has triggered it specifically? I, I mean, on the holidays. I, mean, I, I don't just, know what has triggered it. I don't think it's the interest rates, though. This must be, I would say, unprecedented to have demand spike like yeah. this in the middle of the holidays, right? 
Right? Yeah, it's usually the slowest time of the year. Usually, it's the slowest time of the year, particularly the week week or two before Christmas. Um, and this other situation I ran into was in the Eckington neighborhood, and I do think this property was priced a little low. Not, but you know, pricing a little low in DC is always the appropriate strategy. So it was listed at uh, eight hundred thousand seven ninety nine renovated. Um, renovated like fifteen years okay, ago. Okay, so but but moving ready. Not move in ready, but not like any sparkly, nice, sure. um, amazing, nothing. So that should go for like mid eights, I would think. Well, normally, and I was, I'm, I'm curious now to see. What I would say it wouldn't be unusual to escalate a hundred thousand yeah, dollars sure. over. Sure. Um, but my client bid a hundred and seventy-five thousand over, so close to a million dollars. Um, yeah, so we went to nine seventy-five. That's insane, and we still got outbid. And, I, and that had 16 offers on it. What I find really interesting about this too, what I find fascinating is – so normally – and the reason I'm reacting to all these you know, million dollars in that condition, normally are kind of what your value of a neighborhood gets set in the spring market, right? Every spring. I mean not that there's not movement in between, but your the prices big, are being, Yeah, the big bump up is in the spring market and then we sort of level off a little bit later in the year to match – it seems to be happening now because I don't think of Aspen Hills as a thousand dollar neighborhood. I guess no, now it it's is. It's not. I don't think of Eckenden as a million dollar neighborhood quite yet, at least for a non renovated house. Now it is. So we're seeing the price points being set now, which is really fascinating. So do you think there's going to be another bump in the spring, or this is just being set, or is this I really early spring? I think market? there's still going to be a bump. I think we're going to bump up through March and April and May. Um, I'm going to be getting a million bucks for my house in Brentwood. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I was complaining. Well, maybe we shouldn't sell it. Maybe we should just hold it for another year and see what happens. I mean, it's funny. I was been complaining for months about I can't get these fucking windows in. It's actually funny. Um, I thought to curse on this podcast, I guess so. Um, my contractor. So the Lowe's is like two minutes, you know, from the yeah. house, and he wanted to finish a project get done. So he was going to Lowe's like every day to ask where the windows were, in. and apparently they told him like. You're not allowed to come here anymore. We'll call you when it's in. Please stop showing up <laughs> and bothering us. So we haven't been able to get windows in for months. And for a while, I was like, this sucks. I want to be done. Holding costs. And for a while, the market wasn't really going up. So you felt like, okay, I'm just eating holding costs and time and effort. I just want it to be done. And I think these windows are probably potentially going to make us $25,000. Just the delay in just, them. Yeah. Yeah, we're not, now we're not going to list. Like, there was a point at which we were going to list. We wanted to list in December. But now we're probably listing – Probably March at this point. May as well hold it back. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I think uh, we had been planning on you know getting seven hundred, and we're like maybe maybe we'll push it and get lucky and get the seven twenty five. Now we're seven ten. Um, now I think it's I don't think it's under the realm of possibility that we're going to get seven fifty, um, depending when we list and right. And so that just that means during the time that we've held this property. It's gone about fifty thousand. It's gone up above fifty thousand um, dollars, and at the time, my my interest rate is below three percent. Yeah, so I'm costing me like eight grand to hold this for the whole flip. I mean, maybe maybe we just keep it vacant for another year and wait. I although do, we don't want I, what's in style to change. I, I also, I do. <laughs> I know you disagree with this. I do think that if they keep, yeah, we've had this debate in this podcast before. If they keep jacking rates, I do think that'll slow slow the growth down. Well, forty percent of properties are being purchased with all cash right now in the district. But they're not. Are they real cash or are they these lines of credit? I mean, no, they're real the, cash, not lines of credit, because those are affected by variable interest rates. Uh, none none of my cash clients are using lines of credit. They're using cash. Um, but I do think that will. I, I, I we'll see. I mean, that's one of those things will be fun to look back on in a year or two. I'm staking out the claim that not that the market will go down, but that it will slow growth. These interest rate hikes. You don't think so? We'll check back in a few years and see who's right. So, uh, Ron, how long ago was it we bought that house for your sister down in Columbia Heights? Uh, I think it was last fall. So it's been a little over a year. It's been a little over a year. So, 
I'd be curious is, is we should price that out and see what it's worth now. Um, I don't remember. Do you remember how much we paid for that? 800 something. Yeah. So I'm, that that might be up 50, 7,500 grand over in that neighborhood because that neighborhood is that neighborhood's hot. And we were lucky enough to buy that property off market, um, right. which um, really got lucky with. Was that during COVID? That was during COVID. During COVID, yeah. 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 And she bought it um, vacant because the reason it was an off market deal is because it was uh, one of the, the seller was someone who I had bought a property from before and he was like, Hey, do you want to buy this other property? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, well, I don't have any money, but my sister's interested in, uh, in getting an investment property. So, so she bought it. So that's how we got it off. Market. Yeah. So we luckily we had the relationship with the seller and his agent from, uh, we'd bought a previous property from them in Petworth. Um, and he implements the same strategy that you do. So, um, that worked out really nicely. Yeah. Cause my theory is if he would have put it on the market, he would have gotten a lot more. If he would have just, Put it on the open market. So yeah, so that's that's an interesting right idea because it wasn't in it wasn't in bad condition, but like there was definitely a lot of cosmetic. Yeah, issues. we had to do about three thousand dollars of just cosmetic repairs. Yeah, so he didn't he didn't want to bother getting it fixed up and ready. Um, he needed to sell fast because and he knew we would be able to close the deal. Yeah. So he needed to sell fast because what he was doing was he was selling the the property to raise cash to do a condo conversion on a different property and he said he was maxed out to his eyeballs as far as like his HELOC and his credit cards, you know, everything, you know, the repairs, you know, he's get a home Depot credit card or whatever for the, for the materials. And he was right up against it. So he needed to raise that cash to be able to continue to fund his condo conversion project. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of illustrative too, with the market as hot as it is now. And it was just, you know, just as hot then, um, really the ability to find properties off market and make these deals. And he's not the only one like um, the college park property that I own, you know, the seller was like, Hey, do you want to buy the property next right door? Next door. Yeah. So we get, um, that's really the value of relationships, right? None of yeah. those were, cause it was like about off market. They weren't really like, you know, it wasn't like you sent a million mailers. It was just more personal connections than anything. Yeah, exactly. Cause they now, cause Russell and I close a deal without too much drama and like there's not question of like is the financing going to fall through yeah. or whatever. So we make the deals actually happen and we close them and those sellers know that because of previous transactions with us. So we get the first chance like the first right of refusal or whatever right. the term and is. And that's and that's really what's key cuz you hear how to find off market deals, you hear all these things, you send out mail, you send out, but really it's being able to find one or two deals and then kind of have your name out there as someone who is capable of closing, makes it no drama. One of the things I think I've had a reputation for now is I don't think we've ever had any holdups. Like we've been able to go. We've, I think we closed one deal in seven days. Um, so that's really what the value is. It's not, it's not marketing. It's not, it's really just building those relationships with people over time. Well, the, I mean, you look at some of these situations too, where you get like five offers from someone, right? And the agent and the seller are looking at who should I take? So I specifically remember when we closed that pro first property with Phil, I remember um, telling his agent, Kendall, like, look, we're going to, we're not going to be a pain in the ass. We're not going to beat you up on inspection. Right. So there's some, there's some buyers and agents out there want to nickel and dime you for everything. And they, make it impossible to get the deal closed. And then no one wants to do business with you. Again, right. Right. The easier we can make a transaction on the other side increases the probability that in the future, 
they're going to want to do business with us. And that happened on this specific transaction. And vice versa. Like you said, since they aren't nickel and diming us, we are open to doing a second transaction. There's a specific brokerage. I'm not going to name that every time I've done a deal with them, they've just been a pain to deal with. And so all things, you know, obviously if they have the highest number, I'm going to take it, but all things being equal, if I have two offers, one from this brokerage and one from one that I haven't had that experience with, you know, on, on the margins, I think, you know, you're more likely to take a deal. And so, yeah, even not just agents, but entire brokerages who have reputations of the way they do things. Um, that does, yeah. that your does reputation is going to precede you in the marketplace, whether you're an agent or whether you're an investor. Um, and that, that matters. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think Ron, you had some questions for us about market. Well, I thought since it's the end of the 2021, beginning of 2022, we could play a game for predictions for 2022. But instead of just asking you what your predictions are, I have a series of statements and then you okay. agree or disagree. And Russell, we should, put money, on, we should put money on this. Sort of maybe like, maybe you can write it down or I could. You know, well, what? we're going to have the episode two to lean oh, back to on. Go back on. Yeah. You're, you're right. So maybe we don't need to write it. This down. is like uh, Russell's like guess the lines with yeah. like, Sal. With, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll go around the room and we'll each make our predictions. Okay. Agree or disagree with the following statements. Statement number one, the Fed raises interest rates more than three times in 2022. I mean, they've said they're going to do that. Um, I guess they could backtrack if they, if they're not going to raise them right now. Right. Like, um, and they've said they're doing three, they said they're doing three in, um, in 2021, I believe three and 22 and I believe two and 20, three and 22, three and 23, two and 24. Obviously that can change. Um, I think inflation is going to be really high. I don't think there's any reason to think that's going to change. And I think the fed will more than likely do, do, do stick with their plan once inflation goes down. What I'm thinking is what the fed does is, I think they have all intentions of at this point in history of actually doing the three that they say, but when push comes to shove, when push comes to shove, I think they're going to end up doing two. Um, I think the political will as they continue to raise interest rates um, won't be there to do it full three times next year. I actually, I think two is quite possible because I do. I, well, this is where me and Russell disagree. I think two might be enough. Not that inflation is going to go back down to two percent, but to get it down to where if inflation stays at seven percent, right, they're going to have to keep raising rates. If they can do two and push it back down to three or four, they may just they may just keep it there. So I think. I mean, I guess I'll I'll stick with my prediction of three. Just so me and Russell have a different, but I do think it's kind of a cop out of an answer. But it depends on how effective those first two are. But I think they. I do think they are going to get inflation under control. I disagree with Russell on that. I think. And what do you think, Ron? Well, you both disagree, right? Because yeah. the statement is the Fed raises interest rates more than three times. Oh, so they do yeah. it at least four times. So, so Jack's not, going no, with a no, push. No, no, I'm no. going with the under. You disagree. Yeah. I think they're going to raise interest rates because I think inflation is going to be kind of out of control. So I agree with the statement. All right. So you're four at least. I'm three. Russell's two. Yeah. So Russell's a, a dove. Um. Okay. Next. Next one. Uh, mortgage rates hit 5% at some point in 2022. It could be in May for, for a week. conventional buyer or for... Or yeah, like traditional 30-year okay. fix. So not investor rate. Because people always get that wrong. Like an investor yeah, rates investor. Already, already into the fours, I think. Not investor. Primary residence. So I'm going to say um, absolutely not. We haven't had a f- average five-year um, conventional rate since 2010, I believe. Um I just can't see them rising that high. They have risen almost a full percentage point in the last year already. Um, I don't think it'd be crazy for us to be at four, four and a quarter in a year. Uh, but five, I just can't see us getting there. I see no, no point. I see no way. What is it now? Like two, two, eight, two, seven, five. Uh, we're at like three, three, one, two, five. Okay. So 
if they raise rates, I mean, I don't think they're, let's say they raise rates three times. You would expect that to be somewhere in the fours, right? They're going to be about a quarter. Well, there's not an exact correlation between the Fed raising rates too and where where mortgage rates go. Over a long period of time, they correlate, but over short periods of time, they don't. The other thing, this can get really nerdy. I don't know how many people are going to understand this. So the bond rate correlates too, right? Over the long period of time, but not over the short period of time. So there's there's a correlation. There's oftentimes where the Fed raises rates and mortgage rates drop. Because of origination, yes. But – even over a year period, if you have if the bond and the bond and because and this all comes back to inflation, right? If inflation is high, the bonds are going to be less valuable. You push down the bond market, the mortgage rates. I I I think it could hit five in twenty three or twenty four, but I don't see any mathematical way it would hit five. I don't even think it's really mathematically possible, given that we're starting from a what's the the rate zero now, right? The Fed the Fed's yeah they zero or are they one eighth Fed. I was like I think it was called the Fed's fund rate. Federal fund yeah no, the Fed fund. Fun. F-U-N? Yeah, F-U-N. Fed's fun rate. And where, where do you think rates are going to be at a year? I think in general, we're going to be in a huge inflationary environment. Not like the late 70s or anything, but it's going to be just all that money that was printed up, stimulus checks and whatever. You know, like, I know the Fed can buy it back and whatever, but I mean, there. I think we're going to be in an, a big inflationary environment. And cool. I think at some point, might be just a week in June. But it's, I'm going to agree with the state. I think they'd have to raise it for five times. But I remember, I, I always, I already think that, and like Russell, well, they're said, not starting. They're not even doesn't always correlate. But the mortgage rates in the Fed. But I also, you know, remember I agreed that the Fed is going to yes. increase. They're starting in times. March, right? That's their first rate hike right now. March, I believe. I don't know. I don't know when the I don't know when the Fed board meets. No, I think they already announced that they're doing it in March. Or but I agree with the statement because my my prediction is that. 2022 is going to be a inflationary. I, I actually think we're going to have a huge decade of inflation. Um, and while you just said you don't think it's going to be like the 70s, I actually think it's going to be closer to the 70s than people I, think. I, I'm going to push you on that a little bit. I just, just I know you we disagree on this. If they raise rates as much as they think they're going to, and Ron thinks it's going to be four times, I don't think that's going to happen. Like we know, like the thing that's different from the 70s is we know how to crush inflation, right? We know how to do it. The Fed is independent, technically. It's not – you keep saying political will, but it's it's an independent board. They know how to get – their whole goal is to stop inflation. What makes you think they won't just keep upping rates until inflation goes down? And we know we, – we, it's not a mystery of how to kill inflation. What makes you think that they won't just kill it? We know how to do it. Yes, there's – I don't believe there's any will to raise interest rates of 15%. Well, it's not will. It's Jerome Powell wants to do it. It's not really like – He's not, not going to do it. Because well, then there's pain, pain, economic pain that yeah. comes with that. You know, sure. you have to yeah. you have to you force a recession, yeah. basically. Yeah. But but I think that the Fed's mission is to get under control. The last time the Fed Federal Reserve did that, unemployment rent went to eleven percent. It's going to be a political disaster. I'm yeah. just saying. I'm just saying the Fed is an independent board. Yeah. Their goal is to keep interest rates in. Their goal is to keep their jobs. Well, didn't uh, Powell just get another what is it two year term? He will, if he raised interest rates of fifteen percent, he'd be fired, and then they would get him gone. Well, or raises interest rates. This is what you have I don't to know, do. Volkner got got him to what? What were the interest rates like in the eighties? Fifteen percent, and he wasn't fired. Yeah, but he would be today because we would not accept eleven percent. Well, I don't think it's going to. I disagree with what level unemployment went to higher than it did during the Great but Recession. But I also don't think it's going to take as much to crush as you do. I think if they stay on there, if they keep upping it a quarter point every quarter, I think. Be enough, but it will result. Whatever they sure, do, no, it'll be a recession. Stop inflationary pressure. We'll start a recession. There'll be a recession. And do you want to be? Does Jerome Powell want to be the one that started the recession? No, you know what I mean. Doesn't. So you know, I, like Jerome Russell's Powell, a, his 
folded to every political pressure put on him in the last several years. And I, I he will continue. I to think do they're so. gonna get under control. But getting I mean, under control means forcing a recession. So. I think I think they're gonna. Do, I think the Fed has enough like independence, which I guess you disagree with, that they're gonna ultimately like that. Their mission statement is to is to keep inflation right under control, and I think there's enough institutional. Um, uh, I don't know what the term is, institutional uh, backbone there to do it. Uh, there's no, I don't think there's any institutional backbone. I think they're going to be too skittish. They're not going to want to throw the economy into a recession after the pandemic and what we've been dealing with. So I think we're just going to accept that there's going to be some inflation. I think we're going to I don't accept. think we're going to, you think we're going to live with 7% inflation in perpetuity or whatever it's at now? For a while, I think. I don't think so. I think so. No? Good. It's good. We disagree. We usually agree on this. I think this will be the third straight year of high inflation. We've had two. Well, I think it'll be high. I think it'll be like three or four. We've had too much of seven. this Goldilocks 3% inflation for years and years and years seven. and years and years. So it's time for. The other problem you have is people People are, yes, a recession's bad, but it's also bad to have your real incomes falling, which is starting to do. Right? The, the have what? People are not happy with a the recession. They're also not happy when their real incomes keep falling, right? If you have a 7% inflation rate and your rates is 25 you're starting to lose significant and part of it might be wishful thinking on my part because i'm perfectly yeah. positioned right now for a high inflationary environment you know i have like two million something dollars in debt you know that's going to go away I, you know i can have rent increases appreciation is going to happen so i'm 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 not really a buyer right now so i'm per, I, bring on the inflation like i hope that there's inflation yeah well good we disagree i'll look yeah. back in a year i think they will get it i don't think under control completely but i think it will be i think Inflation rate will be less in 22 than it's been this year. I think they'll consider inflation. Well, there's a question. What do you think it's been this year? I know. I mean, it depends on what quarter. I know the last quarter came out like year over year, what, six, six, seven, six, eight. Yeah, but do you know what the yearly inflation rate is? We know what it was. Well, that's for not unfair. You're coming out of the pandemic for the first quarter. What was it from like? What was it's been? It's been about seven since post since everyone was back. Yeah, so right? the yearly inflation rate is 4.8 percent. Okay. I think it's less than a lot of people think that it is. That's still pretty high. Normally, we're running under two, so it's more than double. Yeah, normally, uh, so it's like almost. It's definitely it high. It's more than double. But it the is. the October reading uh, or October November's reading, which was unusually high, even for the rest of the year, I think is what spooked a lot of people. That was and quarter. It, it was quarter two, too. I think it was. It was, it was, it was a one month reading. I I suspect. So here's my suspicion. I think January, February, these months are all going to be in the high sixes. I think I don't get exactly calculate the other. When we get back to October, November this time next year, those month of month readings will be in the threes and fours, maybe fives. I don't think it's going to be up into the sixes by then. I think it'll be in the fives, but that's getting but month over month readings of five consistently would be no. But it's going to be more de- than we had this year. It's decelerating right. growth, and I think if the housing you would talk about housing, if the housing market was up, I think it was eighteen like percent this year. Maybe it's up eight percent next year. I, I'm not saying it's going to. Down, but I think you're going to see slowing growth of inflation of housing. I know there's a delay on your windows, and it's been profitable yes. for you. It's been helpful, but I think the supply chain thing has been over exaggerated. Like I find every product that I need, and it's not in an inflated price or whatever. So you're, I think you're not, you're not in construction. But I think that the supply chain, the news, and the buzz about it gives people a chance to increase their prices. Without too much consequence. Yeah, so prices won't really come down when supply chain issues are fixed, but there are definitely supply chain issues that are driving certain prices. You up. can't buy a new car. Cars are an issue. Yeah. are an issue because there's a shortage of semiconductors. Right. Um, every car, I'm trying to buy a new car, and every time, every car I try to buy, 
is sold before I can test drive it. Sure. People, it people, might be real. I mean, it's a real, there's some things like you said, cars that the supply chain is really affecting, but I think that it gives, let's say the supply chain doesn't affect widgets, but it gives the widget manufacturer like wow. the ability to yeah. raise. And then you can just blame it. You know, the price increase. You well, you know, it's, funny it's also a labor budget. issue though too, right? I think what's happening is I actually think some of it's supply chain. We say supply chain. A lot of it actually is a labor issue. There's not enough truckers. There's not enough, and so what you have is, you know, well, just restaurants. Looking. You so why restaurant prices up? Well, it's not necessarily. Although I think I was actually talking to someone who told me, like their raw input on one of these restaurant owners for like meat is like up like twenty five percent year over year. But in addition to that, their employees that were making ten dollars an hour, and I'm making fifteen, and that's great for the employees, obviously. But that's your price. Well, and these not- issues domino too, right? So we saw a domino in this instance today there was 2,000 flights canceled because of labor issues because so many people got sick right yeah and so we're gonna have a backup in flights for a week or two now and what's it's gonna be a simple supply and demand issue demand's gonna be through the roof of these flights it's gonna cost people huge amounts of money to rebook um so lost time and those people if you're not back to your office now you're not working it just dominoes that is one thing i think that will also help the supply chain once this uh, Omicron variant rips through, most people have some sort of immunity. I also think the CDC is talking about reducing the quarantine period. You should have – I think there was a lot of sick outs. People just sick a lot, right? right. So yeah. if you're sick a lot, you're not – And it's a reduction uh, of you know, the workforce. Um, and I also – I think there's been a lot of studies and a lot of people who retired preemptively because they're worried about getting COVID. If this variant is as contagious as it seems like it is, everyone gets it and COVID starts to go back down to being more of a normal annoyance, but it's not killing – hundreds of thousands of people, you're going to see both less people sick, less hours sick, and also probably some uh, older people who are retired coming back into the workforce as they feel safer. I think that should ease the supply chain a little bit because it's really a labor problem. It's not really a supply. So next question. Some jurisdiction in the DMV passes some sort of rent control law to combat rent inflation. Agree or disagree? Uh, In the next year? Yep. I suspect – I think Montgomery County may very well pose it. In fact, are they still – they still have some emergency moratorium going on now. They effectively have rent control. Yeah, right? so this is a in- really interesting question for me because I'm a member of GCAR's Public Policy Committee. And one of the issues that we are continuing to fight is uh, any mention of rent control. So we have one particular um, uh, county council member who has proposed in a number of pieces of legislation um, – He's not calling it rent control, but it's controlled rents near metro stops, you know, in, oh, yeah. in select areas. And we, we've we continued to push back on him. And, you know, there's no political will with a lot of the other council members to do this. So there is one council member really driving this in Montgomery County. Um, but we have been using our full force as an industry to fight back against it, both for, you know, because – as realtors, we don't just fight for our our industry. We fight for basic property rights, too. It's a core fundamental Can belief what we have. We talk for a second so we don't sound like evil landlords about why rent control is actually a bad policy in addition to – like people always think it, it helps the existing renters stay in the home. That is definitely true. Yeah. But you end up with less supply, and over the course of time, you price people out. It's kind of like a lottery ticket. If you're in that rent control apartment, you're great. But what happens over time is you see less new construction being built. You see less upkeep of the existing stuff. And it actually, and there's been study after study after study that rent control yeah, does Paul, not actually Paul increases. Krugman, um, who won the Nobel Prize in economics. Pretty um, liberal guy, too. Um, and he's a, he's a liberal economist. 
he's got a great um, op-ed piece from about 20 years ago about rent control. But And I, I'm going to butcher his quote, but it, it's something along the lines of rent control is amongst the e- most easily understood phenomenons in economics. And nearly all economists, whether they are liberal or conservative, agree with what happens. Rent control leads to scarcity in housing, and it and it drives up the prices enormously on non-rent controlled units, and leads to rent control units being um, not being kept up, and so it creates slums. And so what happens is, uh, instead of allowing the, f- the free market to determine what prices are, we create a supply and demand issue, create scarcity, prices go through the roof just outside of these rent controlled areas or in non rent controlled units. And, you know, um, so it, it ultimately does lots of damage, both it, it even does damage to the people who are in the rent controlled units because those become slums because the owners don't have the money to upkeep the properties. Now I will say one of the things we talk about free market, that is a problem that I actually think the County might be more likely to address the rent control and Montgomery County is actually been pretty progressive on this um, is, just need more housing, right? I mean, the, the big the people talk why are housing so expensive, why are rent so much? We simply do not have enough housing for the number of people who live in this country. And that's you're seeing that. It used to be a California problem, but you're seeing that in Texas, seeing that everywhere. We basically have not built because of a combination of zoning laws and and also just the recession. It's 2008. So before 2008, we had too many houses for the population, right? We had more supply than there were people, which is what caused it, which I think is the number and one And then the reason. housing collapse swung the pendulum back the other way, and builders stopped building. A lot of builders went out of business. And we have too many regulations on where you can build, how you can build. And Montgomery County is actually very good about um, upzoning density, especially on metro stations, and allowing more multifamily. Um, I suspect we're going to get some ADU probably in the next few yeah, so we're always yeah, so lobbying to that'll happen. I think for so. less restrictions on ADUs. There's a you want to talk current about that is for a second. If people don't know, huh? Do you want to talk about what that is? If people don't know, for a so second? ADUs are accessory dwelling units. What it is is like having a little in-law suite or you know apartment over your garage or a basement, um, a basement apartment to help you offset the costs of your house, right? Um, and so Prince George's County doesn't have them at all. Um, Fairfax County essentially doesn't have them. Montgomery County implemented allowing them about five years ago. DC has them, uh, but the restrictions are still pretty tight on them, and they continue to liberalize to allow more of them, more of them. And we keep um, lobbying for less and less restrictions on them. Uh, but there is also, I think it's called Th- um, Thrive or something like that. There is a housing and growth plan for the next thirty years for the county in which. Um, part of that plan is to allow more multifamily housing, which we have virtually none of um, outside of large commercial apartment complexes. So hopefully that Infill. passes Infill. because we have virtually, you know, no multifamily housing, two to four units in um, in Montgomery. Although County. actually yours, your, you live is actually a small multi effectively, right? Well, and it's built by so a big multi can built, be it's built by a big developer, but multi. You're two it depends two. how you're using the term, right? So it's multifamily in that. It's a condo building. Um, but it's but, not a big condo. It's, how many units are there? It's probably like 10, uh, 10 or 12. 80 or 90? Of the two over twos? Yeah. That many. So, um, but when I when I was referring to multifamily, I mean like a two-unit property yeah. that one person owns both units yeah, and can infill. rent out the other. Infill. Yeah. So, for the record, agree or disagree, will a jurisdiction in the DMV pass a rent control? Define DMV. 
you know, the general D.C. metro area. So I think Montgomery County, no. Prince George's, probably not. Baltimore already has it. I'm going to go with no. Russell? Um, I do not see any changes in any of the rent control laws in the area. Tacoma Park, the city of Tacoma Park has it. It won't change. D.C. has limited rent control if you own four, five units or more. Um, but I don't see any changes to current rent control. I mean, there might be some I will some random city I'm not thinking of. Prince George's County is a lot of like random small little cities that maybe right, they do but it. PG like, County did try it before and then they repealed but it. But could so. one of the small cities like one of those. Sure. Like, or like, like Arlington, you know, with yeah. national landing taking off. Uh, you know, I could Arlington see some it. city, maybe like, you know, uh, Mount Rainier. The, do they have it? They don't. Like, I could see something like that. You know, maybe, you can see the chatter when uh, 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 if there's an election and inflation gets out of control like I think it will. And then, you know, all the constituents are saying, hey, we need some yeah. sort of rent control, even though all economists have proven, you know, anytime it's been done, it's been a bad thing. But, you know, well, you're right, because uh, the last time there was a doesn't. big rent control push, right, was in the 70s during a high inflationary environment. But what happened is what always happens, right? They implemented Spiral. rent control in a lot of places, and it turned all these places into slums and you know, rents exploded. Um, and some of those cities haven't recovered. I mean, I don't think it was the only reason, yeah. but I think rent control did not help Baltimore, Detroit. No, it's, it's Louis, an incredibly some these, damaging. Force. Some of these cities that, I mean, they were probably declining anyway, but it probably didn't yeah. help. So I, but I don't think that the, anyone will pass. No, I don't the, think so. The I mean, there law, might be, but some there will be so. some chatter. I think oh, for sure. Well, there's always chatter. So you get another question. We can do one more. Okay. Um, we're only doing one more. Go a little bit long. Then how about this? DC appreciation is flat to negative in 2022. No. No chance. Um, no. We can ask another one. Tw- yeah, I mean, 20, oh, okay. 20 offers of property, no, no, no we, chance we, we get question. flat. Okay. Another question. If Next you question. asked that six weeks ago, we would have gave you a different answer. Right, but that's and not that shows you how fast market conditions can change. Negative. Right, so I'm saying for the whole year, though, you yeah. know, like January could be really hot, but the rest no. of the year could be flat. Ne- no. What's the next question? Okay. What's the- Several office buildings in downtown D.C. will be converted to residential condos. Uh, uh, they'll start the process? Or they'll actually... Compete. Yeah, I mean, they'll start, you know, like that, yes, the, absolutely. the old Washington Post building downtown absolutely. 100%. Will turn into 100%, at least one or two, 100%. Russell? You know, I, I don't know enough about rezoning a commercial property to residential well, use. There, there's also, there are problems. I'm not do this kind of development, but I understand there are complications with like, this is really technical, but um, commercial, everything went center stack, your elevator, your plumbing, all of that runs to the center of the building. When you want apartments, I got to run um, towards the sides, right? To where the units are. So it's actually very expensive to reconvert a, um, Commercial unit because everything, the plumbing, the electrical, the elevators are all completely not where you'd put it for a residential building. Well, the other um, thing is the you're going to have is survival. A, the, the land is survival. These people do it anyway. You're going to have a lot of internal square footage, too, that doesn't have windows. No, it's um, going to be incredibly expensive. But yeah. there will be places that it's valuable enough someone will do it. Yeah. Especially if it's just like a building that was going to be renovated anyway, turned into like a modern office building. And then you're gutting the inside anyway. Then the only issue is, you know, like you said, windows. And they're doing the, I think they're doing that at Fannie, Fannie Mae right there. Headquarters. They're already I don't know what they're doing there. I, I think they're they developing it into something. Into um, I don't know if they'll keep it. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, they're putting it into Wegmans and yeah. So, so anyways, uh, so was that agree or disagree? It was agree for 100%. Jack. Do you think uh, that a resident? I'll say I'll agree that there's going to be a process started. These things take 
years to redevelop. So I don't no, think we'll don't. see anything finished by the end of the year, but I bet there's something that's, um, I agree. I also agree. So anyways, uh, next week we're going to be back again with Rom. We're going to talk about a lot of the nitty grittiness with his rent by the room strategy. Um, if you guys have any questions, you want to reach out to any of the hosts or the guests, email us at info at DC real estate podcast.com. Um, we continue to want to uh, get back to our real estate meetups. Um, you can sign up for our meetups at DC REI rockstars.com. Every time we start to plan, uh, another variant comes out. So we were planning it's literally on, like, yeah, like I think like the week we talk about it, this has happened multiple times. Like, yeah. Then there's some other. We were planning in the fall. Then the Delta variant came out. We started planning about a month ago, and now Omicron is come out. Um, Maybe you guys are the reason why these. Yeah, so we it's quite possible. We would love <laughs> to. Possible. We'd love to do a real estate meetup again. Um, we will at some point. Um, but sign up for at www.dcreirockstars.com. Um, any other? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts. 